Hi, I'm Matt Ward, and welcome to episode 21 of the Running Industry Podcast. New Balance as a brand and Team New Balance Manchester as a team is um, something to be really proud of. You know, we work hard, but we enjoy ourselves and we are relentlessly driven as a team, but we also um, look out for each other. And I think Team New Balance Manchester never want to see each other fail. So in this podcast, I'll be talking to Steve Vernon. Former Great Britain mountain and cross-country runner, Steve is now the Elite Performance Manager at New Balance UK and head coach and boss of the Team New Balance Manchester. Steve's an eight-time medalist and two-time winner of the super tough and world-famous National Cross-Country Championships, winning in 2011 and 2014. He's also won the GB Best at the World and European Cross-Country Championships and on the mountains too, finishing fifth at the European Mountain Running Champs in 2013. Team New Balance Manchester is a professional running team based in South Manchester under the guidance of Steve and the team comprises a small group of elite distance runners and is one of only a few professional running teams based in the UK and they're fortunate enough to have the support from New Balance to help them compete and reach the very highest level of international athletics. In this podcast, I'll get Steve's views on the upcoming GB Marathon Olympic Trials and how his unwaning competitive nature even found him national success as a junior angler. And in case you hadn't heard, the Running Industry Podcast has now started a weekly news roundup with me, Matt Ward. In addition to our long-form in-conversation episodes, and of course, our new brand spotlight shows. Remember, you can follow us on social media at Run Industry on our website, runningindustrypodcast.com, where you can listen to all the previous episodes and subscribe to future ones. For now, though, on with this week's podcast, as I'm in conversation with Steve Vernon. So a big thanks for joining me on the Running Industry Podcast, Steve Vernon. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Good to see you, Steve. As always, sunny Manchester. The sun's beaming in through your window there in New Mills. We're starting to emerge from a lockdown here again in the UK. And I know you'll be smiling about that, as will a lot of the athletes around the country. How have you been keeping over the last few months? Well, like us all, trying to uh, keep hold of our sanity. But uh, luckily with my job, uh, oh yeah, like really lucky in fact that I've had uh, a job, been busy, Athletes, the elite athletes I work with have uh, had the opportunity to compete and yeah, coaching never stops. So it, I suppose, it, it, to be honest, I've, I've been even busier than normal because I've not been able to see them all face to face as regularly as possible. Um, so there's a lot of Zoom, there's a lot of phone calls, um, a lot of emails and I'm the type of person that needs to be busy. So I'm not, I'm not complaining at all. And I know that you're in a nice part of the world there as well, Steve. You've been getting out and uh, stretching your legs still? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. My problem now is keeping my body in one piece. I'm, I turned 40 last October, so I've got the, I've got the V in front of my name now. So uh, yeah, no, I love it. I still run plenty. I had a bit of a, a bad back injury this, uh, this winter, which was annoying. So I had to sit on the, uh, the bike in the house, but I'm back out running. So yeah, I still, I still probably run 40 to 50 miles a week and stay relatively fit, but uh, I stay away from that uh, nasty red circle now because I tend to get injured when I get on the, uh, on the track. And presumably, you know, as a coach as well, it is, I mean, it's really important to keep that element of running within your lifestyle, isn't it? Do you feel as though 
by doing that run as well, you can also then, you can still retain that mindset of, I know what an athlete's going through when I'm out in the pouring rain on Sunday morning. 100%, 100%. And, and you know what? I also, like you said um, earlier, that I do do the odd race, um, local fell race or help a road relay team for the club. And you never forget what it, it hurts like. And despite me being a lot slower than I used to be, it still hurts just the same. And yeah, I, I think it's it's really good for a coach sometimes to reflect and review and Knowing what it feels like still, knowing what it's like on the on the bad days, but also knowing what it's like on on a beautiful sunny day, and your motivation changes all the time. And I always say to my athletes, it's commitment that gets you out the door. And and as long as you are committed, it's okay if you're not as motivated some days because you know a, a January morning that's crisp and sunny and and beautiful is very different than a January morning with thirty mile an hour winds and and pouring rain. So yeah, I yeah. Uh, I accept that motivation is an ever waning uh, source to get you out the door, but it's it really is the commitment that actually gets you out the door. And as long as you're committed, then I think that's uh, that's the key. I'm going to start right off in the uh, in the deep end, I suppose, Steve. I'm guessing that this has been one of the busiest periods for you as well through the whole of coronavirus pandemic. We've got the GB Olympic Marathon Trials coming up in London, probably the biggest, certainly elite sporting event in endurance. Well, since the London Marathon back last year, and maybe in terms of importance in the last 12 months. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting time because uh, obviously last year, Johnny Meller in particular, we were preparing, we wanted to get the Olympic time under his belt and he did that in uh, February in Seville, running uh, 210.03. The trial, we knew that it was going to be London and we knew that sometimes you don't get the, the perfect weather there. So we wanted to go in and take the risk of just getting the time and then, you know, in the policy from British Athletics, you don't have to run the trial. Then London was cancelled um, and then the next opportunity to race again was when London came out to say they're doing an elite-only race last October. So Johnny ran, um, uh, was the first British finisher there, ran 2.10 again, so another Olympic standard. We assumed going into that that they'd probably make it the trial, but they didn't. So we then had to prepare again for, for this trial in queue and uh, Johnny's been really unfortunate to get uh, the strangest injury ever in terms of he's, he got a, a bout of gout uh, just over two weeks ago. So um, really strange. But after a 24 mile run, um, he had tight calves, went to bed in a pair of like uh, calf compression sleeves, bit itchy in the night on his leg. So he rolled one up from the bottom and it was obviously tight around his calf and didn't think anything of it at the time. We were all laughing at him because we saw him the next day and he had a little ring and an indentation halfway around his calf. And about two days later, his ankle really ballooned up and it looked like he'd sprained it really swollen and awful. And he sort of could jog along on it, but it wasn't right. So we saw a doctor and got scans and then they did a blood test because nothing was really apparent in there. And he had gout and it was all the crystallization, the swelling. So we had to have it drained with syringes. In the end, we nursed it and tried to get back running again, but it wasn't good enough to, to train properly. So he's, he's, he's out of the trial, I'm afraid. He pulled out last week, which is... Is, is really sad news. The trial is in uh, in the policy. You don't have to run the trial, but if the first two people across the line have the time, then uh, they will go. Um, and because Callum's pre-selected, Callum Hawkins, then it means there's there's no place for for Johnny uh, as the policy stands. And then I've got Andy Davies, um, super veteran, uh, British record holder. He's running, and it's it's a bit of a two-edged sword because I really want Andy to have great conditions because. You know, um, he, he liked to have attack at his own British record, but if everyone runs really fast, then it could potentially knock Johnny out. So it's a, it's a real tough one. 
he's cruel. He's cruel, but Johnny's come to terms with it and he's just got to wait and see. And, you know, if he if he doesn't get to the Olympic Games, then he'll he'll run the London Marathon in, in October and try and break, break the 210 barrier. The other guys have... Of my athletes, you know, the likes of Charlie Hulson have decided to focus on Commonwealth Games. So he's going to run an autumn marathon to prepare for next next year, hopefully. And um, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one, but it's a strange event in terms of that it's in Kew Gardens. It's lap course, um, 3,300 metre loops and um, going to be very different different in a COVID environment. It's, you know, with without spectators there. It should be a good event. The organiser, Tom Bedford, I know well from my my days at St Mary's, and he's he's put a lot of hard work into it. So it'll be it'll be a great race. Um, and I know from the women's side, some of our qualified Olympians are also not running. So it will be an interesting day. And talking about your busyness as well, Steve. It's not just these athletes who you look after. I know you were talking uh, off air when we before we started recording about some athletes that you will be taking on as well. And obviously the the athletes in your um, under your charge, you've got quite a team there at New Balance Manchester. Yeah, we have, and and you know we've we've grown into a, a an international team over the last few years. We've got athletes from the Netherlands, Switzerland, um, Ireland, um, Sweden, you know, Wales, sunny Wales, and you know it's uh, Adam Craig from Scotland. So it, it really is an international team, and I think not only does that tell a really nice marketing story for New Balance and it's really interesting but we get a following from from all around Europe and yeah it's just a, a real nice balance and we've got Kira McGeehan and Anna Silvander the, the sort of 815 girls and then we move through right the way up to our marathon runners so it's a it's a really good balance and I think for a professional team as well people's journeys um, hopefully last a long time but you you've always got to have a sort of new influx coming into the team and as people retire or their lives change in terms of uh, their jobs or family, etc. So yeah, it's sort of you know re- revolving process, and we've just uh, signed a, an athlete, uh, Izzy Fry from uh, the south of England, and she's a brilliant international 5K and cross country runner, uh, 20 years old. So she'll be joining us when she's finished her final university exams in April. So yeah, it's really exciting time. I'm looking forward to the future and. Um, as a brand as well, it's, it's important that we help athletes um, obviously reach their potential, but also from a whole spectrum of events, because as a performance running brand, it's from the track right through to, to the marathon. And I think Team New Balance, Manchester having a real mix of that is, is good for the brand, but also healthy for the balance. It's great fun and uh, really, really proud to be able to work with athletes from across Europe. Delving a little bit deeper into New Balance as well, Steve, you know, as a brand, they presumably set your targets, you know, in terms of what they'd like to achieve. And, and it's not just about people getting out there and running and maybe winning races and so on and so forth. Let's put it into a industry perspective. You know, New Balance want to get a certain amount back, don't they, from that? So whether it's, you know, exposure on in magazines or online and social media and so forth. How do you kind of square that every year? Do you have a meeting with the, your superiors at, at New Balance and pull it all together that way? Yeah, well, I set my own target. So we, we as well, that, that get signed off my manager, my line manager. And the thing is, we don't put pressure on the athletes to achieve certain things or they're out because it doesn't work like that. Athletes put themselves under enough pressure as it is and, and know what is required in terms of they may have individual contracts that normally last uh, two years. So they know what they've got to do. Setting it up, this whole team was about providing an environment for athletes to reach their full potential. And as long as an athlete is giving their best, that's all we can ask for. And I think New Balance are a brilliant brand in knowing that 
we want athletes to represent themselves at their the highest possible level, but we also understand the challenges of, of athletics and the injuries and illness. And we're not people that turn our backs on huge talent if they have problems. So yeah, there's um, we set goals rather than targets with the athletes, goals that they would like to work towards and like to achieve. Um, I might have my own goals that behind that that they don't see that I'd like to see that athlete achieve that year whether it's below the, the athletes or above the athletes um, but New Balance are really good at supporting the athletes and and supporting that journey and as long as they're good ambassadors for the brand good people uh, work well as a team just represent themselves as really good people and characters I think that's just as important to us as the individual targets I as you know was a, an athlete myself I'm a bit relentless and I put myself under massive pressure to achieve as a coach, but also to help them achieve. And I think it's a double whammy because when I was an athlete, if it didn't go how I wanted it to, you know, I, I punished myself, it hurt. But as a coach, it almost intensifies because you feel feel for them. You're trying to help them with it, but also yourself. And luckily, though, we, we've got a good recipe here and we, we get more ups than we get downs. And um, But also we learn from the downs, the failures, as long as we can reflect and review and come away from maybe not the performance we wanted or an injury and learn from that and take it forward into the next phase of our plans, then, you know, that's what we want to do. And, and I think that's really important for New Balance. That philosophy of yours, as well as, as an international athlete, you know, when you were running and when you were racing, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, obviously, um, later on in the, uh, in the podcast and just delve a bit further into the mind of, of Steve Vernon, if that makes sense. Keeping on the uh, you know the brand side of things as well, lots of big run brands these days, such as Nike, Adidas, and Brooks, they all make quite a big deal of how their athletes help prototypes and stuff for footwear. Do you work with your athletes in terms of prototype and you know footwear development? Do they give feedback? And how important are the athletes when it comes to development of say new products as well, and not just about them performing? The the main product development is based in the US. Um, so we have a lot of our elite athletes over there. Um, we have our main headquarters in Boston, but also uh, not far from Boston, a place called Lawrence, where we do a lot of our testing. And uh, we have some of the world's best in and names that you might know of, Steeplechase World Champion, you know, Emma Coburn and Jenny Simpson, multiple world and Olympic medalist. And so we have our athletes, but also when our athletes, the likes of Jake Whiteman, et cetera, go over and race in Boston, we'll, we'll take that opportunity to test with them. And then the, the product team in the UK um, are always feeding back. So we'll use Team New Balance Manchester athletes to come in and look at products for 2022 and things, feedback on current stuff. And I think that's something that New Balance do really well in talking to our athletes and, and actually uh, encouraging our athletes to feedback, encouraging our athletes to be brutally honest about products, what they like, what they don't, what, what might need changing. Um, and we also um, have a samples that some of our athletes will wear test for us as well and feedback and tell us if there's any problems so i think that's really important that um new balance athletes almost have a say in the brand and we we really encourage that we do put athletes at the forefront of our performance running side and athletes opinions not just their performances really do matter i do touch on it quite a bit on this podcast but because it's a real hot topic and it's really interesting and it's providing it's providing debate from both sides and it's divided the community, the, uh, let's call it the super shoes. What's your view on that? Because you've been at the, especially in cross country where, you know, let's be honest, performance footwear, apart from a long spike, didn't really make a great deal of difference. However, how do you see that in, in the way that footwear has been developed now and it's impacting on performance? Let's put it that way. 
So I think, it, you know, the IWF have, have got rules and regulations. The shoes are allowed now. We've put some limits on stack height and things. And um, But it is what it is. It is changing the sport. Um, we're seeing it on the road. We're seeing it on the track. And it is making an impact. We as a brand have got really good carbon shoes product. And we're lucky that we can have our athletes perform at the same level, um, you know, as, as the Nike athletes, which is obviously important to us. But how do I feel about it? My only concern is there are definitely responders and non-responders, or should I say people that get more from them than others. And that is an unfair advantage. And there's not enough data out there, but I know from a coaching perspective, I can see it. I've got people in the group that definitely respond or um, to them more than others. And I think that there needs to be something out there that, that that is able to provide evidence to whether that really is the case and whether they, they do provide an unfair advantage across the board. If if I'm wrong or or if the, the murmurings in the running community are wrong, then then great. But that's my only concern that it does become really unfair because some of the some of the uh, performances out there are just unreal. But mm. what also concerns me is in the current climate as well, with lack of travel and and money, and whether anti doping is in a lot of countries, whether that's at the same level it is. So, are we seeing just the super shoes, or are we seeing other support, shall we call it, or unfair advantages through doping? And you know that 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 may be a possibility as well. So. I don't think we've got a really clear view right now. I think because of coronavirus and because the shoes coming to the the real, you know, this last 12 months, the shoes have just taken off. But they've also taken off in a time where I don't think the same level of testing has been possible. And we've seen it from, without naming certain countries and certain athletes, we've seen performances that have jumped literally out of nowhere. And that concerns me. So I'll be brutally honest there. Are the shoes the only factor? Possibly not. But they are great. I think it's, you know, a talking point in the sport, but it is exciting. Um, there's records being broken and things like that. But we don't want to get a point where it becomes almost boring, where it's just records, record, re- records. And the purest sense of racing, uh, to get back to that, and I think the European champs last week showed that, heats, finals, that it wasn't all about the shoes. And I thought that was really, really exciting to see again. And uh, I hope that we can get to back some normal competition this year where actually winning a race or finishing fifth in a race is, means more than where you are ranked on the power of 10 because it seems that nobody wants to race anymore, just chase times and people aren't even bothered as long as their, their time matches up, you know. So PBs are great, but I think at the moment it's being skewed. You know, obviously all my athletes are wearing them and New Balance have a great product. So at the moment, it, it is where we're at and we uh, we don't talk negatively about it. We don't use them all the time in training. We say them sort of racing because, you know, they are the stack high and there's a carbon plating. So I do think that, you know, you do need to look after yourselves in terms of the feet and, and everything else, um, you know, keeping your feet strong. So, because these shoes do help and do do more of the work for your feet. So I'm, I'm just wary of overuse of them and potentially injury. I don't try not to see it as a negative. I just see this is where it's at. We're always, technology is always changing. Carbon bikes were faster than steel bikes, you know, and lighter materials. And just because running's the purest sport in terms of just the pair of trainers that I think it just causes alarm bells, but going to take time. Nobody likes change, do they? (laughs) 
Well, they don't, but sometimes I think that change can be good. If nothing else, it's provided a great talking point in these uh, in these times of, of COVID and so forth. And uh, let's be honest, you know, hats off to manufacturers for pushing boundaries because that's, uh, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Just talking about yourself, Steve. So you are one of the most successful cross-country athletes ever in the UK, winning those two national titles, but also meddling eight times in the national cross-country uh, championships, which is pretty phenomenal. Take us back to those days and some of your training methods and how much consistent training was needed over a number of years and how you put that experience and maybe some of those methods into coaching some of your athletes under your charge at New Balance today. Well, I think one of the words you said there is consistency. And for me, consistency is key. And I definitely believe that if you are can be consistent, that definitely top trumps these amazing sessions and, you know, um, short bursts of amazing performance that are unsustainable or or really high levels of training. So consistency is key. And, you know, I, I missed one national cross country in that, that whole time and that run there of eight where we, uh, I think it was because the preparation camp for the world cross country took place during it. So I was away, but yeah, I mean, I had my first share of injuries. Luckily they, they didn't happen in that, that part of the winter, but for me, it was the national cross country was the purest of events and coming from Stockport Harriers, it was all about the Northern and the national. We traveled as a team in coaches and ever since being a junior, I just lived for it. So for me, it was, it was the best domestic race. And, you know, for, for everyone that's been there and the spectacle of those races, the, you know, and especially the senior men's where you've got 2000 people, you know, charging for the first hill or first corner and you just can't beat it. And it, I think for me, it just uh, was what I enjoyed the most as well. But yeah, in terms of cross country, I mean, I grew up with it. I, I grew up with running it in school and track wasn't something I, I did regularly. I went down to Stockport Harriers, which was a naturally a, a more of a cross country um, type club. And yeah, I just was naturally good at it. And it, it seemed that the tougher the course, the better for me. I, I was never afraid of bad weather. You know, I, I was born and bred in Stockport and uh, I won't lie, it's not the sunniest place on earth, but uh, you get used to it. And also we're on the, the edge of Manchester and the edge of the Peak District. So I learned to run in, run in the hills all the time and get, get naturally strong. But for me, I think consistency, like you said, being strong and, and running in the hills all the time, but also having a coach and I had a coach in Dave Turnbull who looked at our continual development and never rested on his laurels, always tried to improve as a coach as we improved as athletes. And, Kept it fun, um, kept the environment um, enjoyable, provided new stimulus all the time. And I think that helps in having a long career where you don't become stale. And we had a brilliant training group. I mean, you know, my social life was always stop at Harriers. I didn't go to the pub. I didn't, you know, my first girlfriend was from the Harriers and all my mates. And meeting on a pouring down night, going to training with 10, 12, 14 other lads. Never, it never felt hard, you know, it, it could be pouring with rain, but you're all in it together. And I think that was a big part of what I had. We built a really good culture down at Stockport Harriers and a, a group training environment. And as we know now, East Africans, the Americans, groups in Europe, that was our pr- training environment. It was group training. It might have not been professional in terms of a backing, but we developed that ourselves. And um, we had the likes of... Um, you know, at the time, Olympian Stuart Stokes and great fell runner Andy Jones, the Norman brothers turning up, Pat and Jack Martin, 
all the Stockport Harriers lads. And we had a group that, you know, Sunday runs some days, you would be 15 to 20 of us as well and going for a breakfast afterwards and having a good laugh. So I think that's just as important part of my consistency because I enjoyed the sport and it never felt like a chore to me. And, uh, and also going back to the very beginning, like I said, I'm relentlessly driven. And uh, I remember the first time I won the national and my girlfriend at the time, I was, uh, I was sat in the bath actually, and she, uh, I could see her through the door and she was reading the names off the trophy to me. And then I heard a couple of names more than once. And I said, Oh, they've won it twice. Oh yeah. 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 And somebody here won it three times and, you know, Dave Lewis and people. And, and this was six hours after winning the national and uh, for the first time. And I thought, well, I've got to do it again now. So probably not healthy. Um, but that was me. And once, once your name's on it once, I thought, well, what's, you know, I, I've achieved it. May as well go again. And then, then Athletics Wheatley said, you know, when I'd won six medals or seven, I think I'd equaled the record. And then I thought, well, I've got to go again. And the eighth medal was also my second win. So that was, uh, I thought it was a good point to end, end my career. And uh, yeah, but it was amazing. I loved it. I loved the journey. And, you know, I was, relatively high mileage guy 80 to 90 miles a week um occasionally hit the hundreds towards the end of my career but for me it was I learned that my body couldn't take three hard interval sessions or three hard sessions a week so it, it we t- I worked on a Tuesday Friday and then long run Sunday so I could have extra time to recover and that seemed to work well and high volume in terms of the sessions and uh staying away from too much anaerobic work and all the basic principles um Dave Turnbull did a, a good job of turning us all into aerobic monsters, and that's what we were. We performed well, and it transferred perfectly for me into into mountain running as well. Before we move on to some of your techniques as well and some of your um, uh, coaching methods, you then moved on to um, a lot of mountain running and obviously running at world and European level, um, culminating in a fifth place at the European Mountain Championships, which was just the summer before you then won the national, right? Yeah. In 2014. So you must have been in super form then. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I had also finished 10th in the European cross country amongst this. And, you know, it's a myth about mountain running, fell running, being slow runners. I was at my fastest when I was, um, you know, also winning winning mountain running champs. The stronger I got, it also uh, the faster I got. And um, I think it's a myth, you know, like I say, it's a myth about being slow on the mountains. So for me, that that transfer of, of um, some, my summers just weren't track running, they were mountain running. And I used the winters to work more on my speed. And that, that you know, speed is, you still need to be fast to run a world-class 10K and cross-country is 10 to 12K. So, yeah, I did I did the two and mixed them really well. But I wish I'd learned it earlier. Uh, my coach had never had mountain runners and I had to do a lot of research myself. And, you know, I spoke to the best at the time, like the Jonathan Wyatts, et cetera, and, and learned from them and spoke to some of the British lads like the Martin Cocktees and the, the John Browns, that they were the, our key guys in the early 2000s. And so when I started, but the event moved on. I mean, I, I finished ninth in my first European mountain running championships all the way back in 2005. That day, I don't think it broken. It would have broken into the top 20 10 years later because the, the standard of mountain running just went on and on and on. And uh, yeah, when I finished fifth that year, I mean, yeah, I'd been... 10th in the European cross country. I was a second in the English national, second in the inter-counties that year, won the Northern cross country by over a minute. I was in phenomenal shape, but still only got 
in the European Mountain Running and, and I think it was 11th in the World Mountain Running Championship. So it just shows the level of, of mountain running. And as we know, famous names like Stephen Kiprotich from Uganda, Olympic marathon champion, was also never won a World Mountain Running Champs. I think he, don't quote me on this, but I think his best was second. It, you do need to be a mountain specialist to really, really succeed in it. But I do think mountain running can be transferable to other parts of the sport and, and that goes on to my, my philosophy about being aerobic monsters you've you know you've got to be aerobically strong to run any distance in, in endurance running and uh, mountain running lends itself to that what would you say just finally on your career what was your most satisfying performance because sometimes when you talk to people the most satisfying performance doesn't always mean you know the one that they won or the best performance as it were which one was it for you do you know what? I've been asked this a couple of times I, and I changed my answer. That's It's really bad, isn't it? But do you know what? It, of course, the Eng- winning the English National is is up there because it's something that I strive for. But my first ever Great Britain vest, um, I forget about that because it was so long ago, 1999, I was 18 years old. But I thought about this again the other day and to a club, the North of England Cross Country Championships was massive. You know, it was something we went, I went to as a junior. You know, national seemed almost untouchable, but I won as a, an under-17 and I won as an under-20 a couple of times. And I won five senior titles at the Northerns and I took, and and that was beat um, uh, Ron Hills. I think Ron won four. That was big for me, winning the, winning the fifth North of England Championship. That was really special to me. And I think it was really special to my coach, really special to Stockport Harriers. So that's definitely up there as well. And it really is hard to choose one that was really, really satisfying because they all were special in their own way. And very rarely, or there was very few times where I felt just invincible and had an amazing run. And I remember running in Edinburgh um, at the cross country in the 4K race and Elliot Kipchoge won and Asbel Kiprop was second and Brumin Kipruto, the world steeplechase champion, was third and I was fourth. And somebody showed me that the other week um, on a video and um, there was me chasing down three of the Kenyan greats. And I didn't think about it at the time, but there's a brilliant picture of me running alongside Elliot Kipchoge. And this is before he became <laughs> the greatest, you know, but he was still an Olympic uh, medalist, etc. And you know what? The races like that, I'll probably be able to tell my children, hopefully my grandchildren, about races like that. That yeah. here was this guy that broke two hours from the marathon, and here's me five seconds behind him in a 4K cross country in uh, snowy Edinburgh. You're listening to the Running Industry Podcast with me, Matt Ward, talking to coach and boss of Team New Balance Manchester, Steve Vernon. Remember, we've also got a Patreon page, so if you want to help us along the way, we'd be really grateful of any support via Patreon. Links are in the show notes and on the website at runningindustrypodcast.com. Reviews and ratings also help the podcast, so it would be amazing if you could give us a little review or a rating. And of course, make sure that you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Just finalising on that then, Stephen, just, just rounding it all off. Obviously, you talked about the Stockport Harriers, the 15, 15 to be out on a Sunday morning and the club nights and so on. It seems like you've almost developed, I'll use the word professionalise that, for Team New Balance Manchester. Just looking at how you talk to people, how the mindset of Steve Vernon from those days when you were achieving everything that you achieved, how do you turn that then into your coaching technique when you're talking to an athlete who might be having a great time or equally might be having a bad time? Are you a good empathist are you a good kind of you know are you do you use that mindset side of things well with your athletes 
Yeah, I, I really culture is really important to me, and I, I work closely with a, a, a performance culture specialist, um, a, a aspire in Doha, and we we speak, you know, once a month, and he's been brilliant with me in in helping me sort of create culture without it ramming it down their throats of, you know, spreadsheets and clipboards and. And, you know, having these really formal meetings because I don't want it to be overwhelmed. I want to create our own culture that they're involved with. So there's key principles that we have in place and almost a code of conduct where, you know, don't be late, et cetera, respect each other, respect visitors. And and I think that's important, respect each other. And that culture is really important because if we're all playing to the same hymn sheet, I think it helps. I, I want people to come to training with a good attitude and positive attitude no matter what's going on in the personal life, you, we, we try not to drag each other down because, you know, no day is perfect. So I think that's important. I, as you know, you've known me a long time. I, I, I am a positive and energetic person and I, I, I bring that energy and I try and lead with that energy. And, and I think it, it's really important for me to, to always be as fair as possible. And there's certain times of the year where I've got to focus on a couple of athletes that are going to a major championship and, and the rest of my group understand that, I treat everyone equally, but there's certain times where I'll have to prioritise certain groups. And I think that's really good of the group. They understand that. And I have a mantra, a happy athlete is a fast athlete. You do have to, you know, be happy generally in life to to perform well. If you're not happy, it'll affect your running. It'll affect your recovery, sleep, et cetera, and which will then affect adaptation. So we solve problems. We look out for each other. and, And if somebody has got a problem, you know, if I can't help or the teammates can't help, then we'll seek help. And I think that's important because we're we're almost a family. You know, um, when you're close together like this, it, you do have to 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 work close together and support each other. So we've developed a really important culture in Team New Balance Manchester. And um, occasionally, uh, it was actually just this last weekend where I was just with two of my athletes at a session, and I asked them to pick out um, five key values that they they see that team new balance at manchester house and actually both of them were were different the values that they saw but they were both values that i really over the last few years have, have really pushed and they both came away with some different ones and it was just uh, me asking them and and it was i was quite proud that they chosen some values that are really strong to to my heart but really strong to us as a brand new balance as a brand Things like integrity, things like teamwork, they were all in there. And um, New Balance as a brand and Team New Balance Manchester as a team is um, something to be really proud of. And, and, you know, we work hard, but we enjoy ourselves and um, we are relentlessly driven as a team. We are. We want to achieve more and we want to do the best we possibly can. But we also um, look out for each other. And I think Team New Balance Manchester never want to see each other fail. They want to beat each other and that's competition. I accept that. But... They want to be able to look over their shoulder and see their teammate point one of a second behind rather than their teammate fail. And I think that's important that we, yes, we create healthy competition, but we also know that uh, we want to see our teammates do well. And I think for some people that was tough first coming in because it's not a team sport. It's an individual sport. If you can work well as a team, like an organization, business, in anything, if you can work well together as a team for your own individual, you know, in own individual goals, then I think um, it will it'll help people s- succeed. And I really find that it helps people grow. If you see you help others and, and they do well, it really helps you grow as an individual and, and provide you with that with that energy. So that's part of what we do. And um, uh, it's taken a long time to produce that culture. 
It's absolutely fascinating. And, you know, I know that uh, you talked about your mantra there as a happy athlete being a fast athlete and also just behind you over your shoulder, which obviously listeners cannot see, but you've got um, a nice framed picture there of the great Steve Prefontaine. And uh, just remind us of what that quote is as well there, Steve. So it says uh, to give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. In Team New Balance Manchester, I always say, to my athletes, all you can give is your best. And I know that's great when you're five years old at your school sports day and your mum says or your dad says, just do your best. But it, it doesn't change 20 and 30 years down. Your best is all you can give. And if you can produce your best and bring out the best in yourself, then you can only be happy. This world of social media, and the, which is also a great vehicle, but also people can be observed, over, overwhelmed by it and com- compare all the time, especially for young athletes. And I think that's quite a difficult time to be a young athlete with social media because back in day when I was younger, all you, ha- all you had was Athletics Weekly every Wednesday. And, uh, you know, so you didn't have it. In black and white, that's it. You can't deny the facts, eh? <laughs> I'm not as old as you. I didn't have black and white athletics weekly. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right there though, Steve. I do remember a few black and white uh, editions. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's, um, and you know, it's important for sponsorship. It's great vehicle in a lot of ways and it's great sharing of information, but you know, it's, uh, I have to protect athletes from that sometimes because especially as they become a bit more famous, some of my guys that, you know, they are subject to a lot of public opinion and scrutiny and things like that. So it's, yeah, it's challenging, but that's the thing. When I, when I signed up for this and for those at home, I'm, I'm holding up to the screen a stopwatch. I thought, you know, this is uh, I love this job. It's just holding a stopwatch at the side of the track and it is certainly not that. So uh, yeah, there's a lot more to it. Talking about things that date you, Steve, that's quite an old stopwatch you've got there. I bet that's been pushed a few times. Hey, it's a bloody good one, though. It's a bloody good one. It still it still tells the time. <laughs> exactly. That's all you need. That's all you need. Absolutely fascinating stuff. And uh, I know that whole mindset thing is a lot of our listeners and a lot of people are really interested in that and how it works. But I think that just very simplification of it, you know, just absolutely give your best. You can't ask any more than that. No. Moving on to a slightly more controversial topic your background in the sport. There's a lot of recent discussions around levelling up of women and men's race distances, especially when it comes to cross-country running in the UK. Um, that has divided opinions, no doubt, just have to look at the media. What's your view on this? Um, it's, it's a really difficult challenge, and I think it's really important that we're, we're hearing you know, the female voice and opinion about whether this is something the majority want, you know, and if it isn't something that the majority want, um, then how do we cater for that small minority that might want to run the 15 kilometre men's race at the, the South of England cross country championships? And, you know, there's, there's challenges in itself. I've, I've read about, you know, if you think about the Southern cross country at the end of January, it's dark at 4.30 in Parliament Hill. And if you're out for longer, um, it has its risks. It has its uh, pressures on volunteers and um, officials, etc., to be out there for longer and changes the timetable. So there's a lot of logistics behind it. And I can see why it causes its challenges. But it's important in the modern age that we we, we hear the opinion of, of women. And those are the challenges that I'm lucky that I, I'm, I'm not having to manage. And that's down to, you know, the governing bodies, etc. But I've also seen from, from a from a men's point of view that they're, you know, they're supporting this big group of men that are supporting this and supporting women's change, but should potentially if women come up to 10K and men 
meet in the middle and come down to 10k well not all the men want to do that they want to stay at that 12 or 15k and um so it's a, it's a real challenge and um, to organize this and um but it, it's important that we 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 do become um more equal across the board with with male and female and but it does present itself with a lot of challenges and as we've seen more recently that the majority of women actually don't want to to move up in in distance on the cross country um which is really interesting but we still are we going to cater for the minority and that's that's the that's the challenge in the debate you know from the from the female athletes that i coach and spoken to and i've asked them their opinion and they do not want to run uh longer in the mud and and the hills and rain etc but that's again it's a small group of people so it's a really hard debate and uh, i don't i want to say that you know i do sort of sit on the fence here i want to see more information both sides of the argument um, and i support it at both sides both from uh, the men's and the, and the women's and it is challenging but we're in a world where it's changing place all the time for the better in terms of equality so i'm glad that the debate is happening it's really interesting and i suspect it will continue to divide opinion for uh, months and months to come as you know as cross country starts to restart certainly not this winter but maybe next it'll be interesting to see what decisions are taken so we shall watch this space just looking at the industry in general as well, Steve, what are your thoughts on the running landscape, I suppose, at the moment in terms of races and elite performance side of things and how brands fit into that landscape and how it's kind of developed, certainly at the moment and over the last 12 months and how it might be over the next couple of years? Yeah, it's a challenging environment, obviously, because races haven't haven't been put on for obvious reasons with COVID. But elite races that have gone ahead from a, a COVID protocol and the testing and the pressures that are on the organisers, it's been very stressful. It's been stressful for athletes. Some have thrived in it and gone out and ran work really well, but some are exhausted by it and, and also scared by it, the, the COVID risks and uh, the challenges presents itself. But I know for a fact of some of my athletes, you know, traveling, you know, some of them were taking to get to the European indoors. It was two days of travel because of planes and not many airports having flights and, and everything else. And so it's not easy. And um, I can't wait for that to, to get back to normal. You know, brands are under, uh, running is, is a boom. There's a massive, uh, especially from a New Balance perspective, people are going out and buying New Balance products. And there's a running boom right now, but there's also, from a New Balance point of view, we've, we've got better product than we've ever had. And I think people are starting to see that and, and we're getting lots lots of new customers that are doing uh, loving the brand, loving uh, the product. So that's good for us. Um, and I think you, we've seen from the part run that, that's just, um, you know, grown and grown and grown. So we've got this new beginner runner. Um, I don't I don't want to put a label on it, but they're often referred to as recreational runners that just run purely for, for fun and fitness and, and not really competition. You've still got the, the club athletics and then you've got a lot of road races. Um, there's a lot of road, but as you and I both know, fell, trail and off-road, because it's harder to close roads, it's costly, it's dangerous, etc. to run road races. We're seeing a huge amount of... Um, trail and, and fell coming back into it and, and that's really exciting for me because i'm a fan of it but it's also great for the for the industry so it is a changing landscape but i only see it as a positive change you know as soon as covid uh, is uh, covid rules are relaxed then i think we're going to see just madness in racing and we're seeing it from the big city marathons i think we've got five or six major city marathons across four weeks in october this year which is crazy you know yeah, absolutely. And that from that point of view, that'll be um, from an athlete point of view, managing that, I tell you, that'll be uh, that'll be interesting who can and can't do what and how far they can, how much recovery is going to happen. And I suppose looking maybe four or five years into the future as well, Steve, it's always difficult to predict what's going to happen. But 
how do you see the sport of running from a sport point of view, you know, developing and all these things that are coming in to aid people running quicker and so forth and how races and whether, you know, that racing element will come back into it and also how running is going to be seen in society and how it's going to develop the industry over the next four or five years? Yeah, I hope it I hope it stabilizes um because I think times in running, you know, we see with cycling got a massive fan base now and the classic races are about the courses and and times are only really relevant when they're on the track and I think the purest sense of racing we would get more of an audience, a captive audience I think on TV and stuff if it was exciting races rather than just ridiculous time trials because for me and, and this is my opinion it's less appealing and and you know i'm talking about family members that know a bit of running because of me but they're not excited by these constant just um you know paced world record races on the road where it's just the field is split to pieces they'd rather see something a bit more exciting and, and proper competition where it's a, a close race and sprint finishes or and i think that's where cross country people are really excited to get that pure element of the sport back and yeah yeah so it, it's a tough time you know and and um despite the, the the running boom and more people out there running i've never seen so many people on the paths and the canals and i love it i absolutely love it from the from the beginner that's you know trying to break trying to run the first 5k never mind break 30 minutes from 5k to you to you new club runners that are loving it and um, it, it is a challenging time but we're, we're in a growing time and I think at, at the elite end something needs to be done from world athletics to to make it uh, a public more public uh, aware of it and have our superstars and our role models and people that you know we're missing the Usain Bolts and things like that and you know the characters and you know um, I think we really enjoyed the Olympics and things with Mo and and the winners across events where it was pure competition. I think we need to get a bit of that back at the moment. We've missed with major championships being cancelled. I think the world has really missed it. Um, and for me, I, I mean, I remember looking back when the Diamond League was called the Golden League, and you'll, you'll remember that. And it was Friday night primetime TV. It was, it was, I think, it was BBC at the time. But mm-hmm. it was exciting competition, and especially in Britain, we had our household names from our Colin Jacksons to our Sally Gunnels to our Linfords, and you know, and and going back to when. Co, Overt and Cram and you know the popularity of, of elite athletics back then stadiums Crystal Palace with 80,000 it'd be great to get back to that those days and in my opinion it needs to have really good competition again and and for Britain to have some uh, you know some really good athletes out there that they, they can follow we need to make it more appealing to the public which will also make it more appealing to, to sponsors put more money back into it and, and I think there's no reason why not it's just getting that competition back in it, I think would be really healthy. Very interesting. Um, I know we've talked about your greatest achievement when it comes to your running as well, but what would you see as your greatest industry achievement and the achievement since you've stopped racing, as it were? Yeah, I've been really lucky to to coach some really talented athletes. And, you know, on paper, you know, I've had um, athlete like Kira McGeehan that's, you know, won a bronze medal at the European Indoors and top 10 in the World Championships over 1,500 metres. And, you know, on paper, that might be seen as the greatest achievement. But I've had so many across the board where I've, you know, athletes that have had setbacks and, you know, Ross Millington being a thinking he was a 1500 meter runner and to then becoming a you know 2012 Olympic 5000 meter trial champion and then in 2016 winning the 10,000 trial and actually going to the Rio Olympics you know and I've coached him since a very early age you know you know in his, his development from a 
into the under 23 age group and beyond. So there's great achievements. But I think as a group, just seeing people reach the potential. And I think I've done a really good job if, if someone has not only reached the potential, but also left Team New Balance Manchester and moved on in life and had a brilliant time here and a brilliant um, experience. And Team New Balance Manchester is about the journey as well. It's not just about the results. And I hope that everyone that has, whether they've spent two years in the team or 10 years in the team, walk away from it and be really proud of the of us um, and also proud of their achievements, but also lifelong friends and um, part of a journey because, you know, we've talked about my achievements today. I, I could speak for double the time of my, the times I've, had my head in my hands and walked away from a race disappointed. And, and the highs and lows of sport are huge, but it's the journey that you really remember. And, the you know, I don't look back and dwell on those bad performances. I laugh about them now. And, um, you know, but at the time, they felt like the end of the world. But, it, it, you know, I remember having my worst performance in a world cross country in the heat of Mombasa. And I walked twice in the race, walked in the world cross country. Still was nowhere near last, but there was a lot of casualties that day. And, I was heat exhaustion. I had we had to run through bunkers of sand, and I had sand in my spikes, and my skin was red raw. I was pouring with blood from my feet. It was a horrendous experience. But do you know what? I got to run the world cross country in Mombasa, in Kenya, the home of cross country. What an experience! There was a hundred thousand people or more around the course, upon trees, upon roofs, anything they could get a vantage point. And we stayed in an amazing hotel and I, we spent a, uh, two weeks in Durban on a training camp beforehand. I'll never forget that experience. The race was just that 30, 37 minutes of hell and uh, the rest of it was best time of my life. So I think at the time I was devastated about the race and probably didn't look what a great time I had. But now I look back on those experiences and remember them for what they were. And I hope that I hope that my greatest achievement, uh, well, I think that my greatest achievement so far is helping be- and a professional team and they're not easy to to do and we're doing it on a shoestring budget but they they you know in america they work really well there's loads of them and in europe there's very very few i can count them on one hand you know and in the uk we've got a couple and it's not easy um and all credit to to new balance for supporting us but also for the athletes for buying in and helping the team grow and the culture grow because they're just as important as me because without them it, it wouldn't it wouldn't succeed You've done an amazing job and uh, there's definitely more to come. I can see that from the eyes of Steve Vernon. Where do you see yourself in five years, Steve? Who knows? Who knows? You know, I I, um, I love, I absolutely love coaching. Um, I also love working, you know, a bit of my week is within the marketing department of New Balance and we're a growing brand and we want to be number one in running. And uh, from where we came from when I joined at the end of 2014, you know, we, we we were a brand that people have forgotten about almost in performance running in the UK. And now we're at the front of everyone's mind. We've got some great ambassadors. So, you know, New Balance, uh, I see myself at New Balance and they've been uh, brilliant at supporting me and um, hope to be there in five years time. And who knows whether we develop more teams, whether Team New Balance Manchester has grown, whether I, I have a different role within the marketing team. But right now I'm focused on Tokyo this year. That's, that's it. And, uh, yeah, I'm not very good at doing my, my long-term plans because I used to do that when I was younger and it, you know, it never goes in the, the direction you want it to be. I wanted, you know, I, I look back at it and, you know, at one point I wanted to be a wildlife TV presenter. Yeah, but David Attenborough stayed on for too long. I could see you on uh, Winter Watch there presenting from New Mills. 
<laughs> yeah. Do you know what? It's sad, isn't it? But that, I love that. I love that. And uh, yeah, so that's what I'd. Uh, that's that. If I, if I get if, uh, if I get rubbish at this game, I'll I'll go into some sort of um, you know uh, like a winter watch would be good, and maybe um, maybe a bit of country file on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Steve Vernon on country file. This is going in the in a different direction. Let's finish off by you telling us something about Steve Vernon that people wouldn't know apart from you auditioning for Country File. Well, you know, it's really interesting because I do love my athletes know this. They, uh, they take the mick out of me. I'm absolutely a nature lover. Great. You know, I'll be able to identify birds and creatures and God knows what. And if we're, I'll, li- I'll lift up a rock somewhere and find something, you know, and uh, wherever we are in the world. And But I was... I'm massively into my fishing. I don't get to do it much anymore, but I was, um, when I was a junior, so when I was 15 years old, I was the North of England uh, fishing champion and not many, not many people know that. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, I've got the trophies. I was, I was, I was Disney uh, New Mills junior angling champion for two years on the trot. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, not many people know that about me. So now you do. <laughs> Now we do, Steve. And do you know what? It had to be, didn't it? You had to win that Northern title. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. But I think I was doing too much at the time. I was playing hockey at a decent level as well. And uh, and I remember Dave Turnbull, my coach, just saying to me, right, he says, you're getting good at this running game. Something has to give. And, uh, you know, there was girls, fishing, hockey. So uh, I'm not going to tell you which one went. But uh, anyway, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the next year it became, you know, I made my first England schoolboy team. So, uh, uh, yeah, it was it was good. But, yeah, I still get out fishing when I can. And a uh, few times in the summer, fly fishing on the on the river at the bottom and stuff. So it's uh, it's my escape from uh, coaching and spreadsheets, yeah. Lovely. Well, now you hit 40, Steve, you know, I can see it now with your tweed on, just uh, casting that fly into the into the river. Yeah. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Steve. The most, most important thing for me is that um, that I've got from this interview is that there's a smile on your face, that mantra of just be your best. And I think that what you've done with Team New Balance Manchester and across, obviously, all of your career, it's been nothing but the best. So keep doing it, mate. And um, really grateful to you for joining us today and giving up your time for the Running Industry Podcast. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Matt. Really appreciate it. So that's it for another Running Industry Podcast. I'm really grateful to Steve Vernon for giving up his time and good luck to Steve and all the team New Balance Manchester runners over the coming year. I'm grateful as ever to everyone who tunes into the show and over the coming weeks we've got some amazing guests from ultra running greats to coaches and brand owners. Thanks as ever for listening and remember that reviews and ratings always help the Running Industry Podcast in gaining exposure. So it would be great if you could give us a rating and a review and of course make sure that you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And of course you can follow us on social media via at Run Industry. A quick mention again that we'd be really grateful for any support via Patreon. Links are in the show notes and on the website at runningindustrypodcast.com where you can catch all of the episodes of the show. Keep listening, keep spreading the word and we'll keep making the podcast. I'm Matt Ward and the Running Industry Podcast is a supersonic production. Thanks for listening and until the next time, goodbye.